the year Universal Century 0092. Neo's Yon, led by a familiar face, sends a group of special forces to Earth, led by Frederick Braun, on a vital mission. The Dogs of War manga was penned by none other than mangaka Kondo Kazuhisa and was published in 1988. This will be the basis of Season 4 for the Gundam Book Club. Spoiler alert, as always. It features events between Double Zeta Gundam and Shars Karatak, so if you haven't seen these shows yet, then please be warned. It has been more than 10 years since the Battle of Abawaku. One important piece of data was analyzed from a hack of a former Xeon central computer at the abandoned lunar base of Granada. Several nuclear warheads were buried in a mining base controlled by Maku base several miles underground on Earth. The Neo-Zeon army sent a special mobile suit team to the mine site under the jurisdiction of the Earth Federation to obtain the missiles before the Federation can discover them first. Winter of Universal Century, 0092. Chapter 4 Landing Joriku Captain Frederick Braun's 66 Special Mobile Suit Squadron ascended to Jabra in Brazil and was successfully able to rendezvous with the Mad Angler Fleet, and they were able to bring eight U class submarines and they were heading to the Indian Ocean. The Mad Angler Fleet continued their steady approach to their intended target while emerging from the depths of the sea. On the observation deck of one of the Xeon subs, two officers were using a signal lamp to communicate and observe the response of the other emerged sub. Captain Braun was giving a debriefing. The first attack corps will attack enemy batteries on the coastline from 50 kilometers off the Arabian Sea. It seems there are many large and small gun batteries dozen tanks and a smattering number of mobile suits. We land on the coast of the Strait of Hormuz while the enemy gets distracted by our decoys. Once we have disembarked from the ship, Unit 57 will evacuate off the Indian Ocean and enter the Arabian Sea to retrieve us one week later. Our mission is to traverse the enemy's territory quickly and secretly during the day and find what is buried at Colonel McCuvey's mining base. Our supplies for ammo and fuel are limited that can be brought in order for us to collect and bring back those nuclear warheads. U-61 and 88 already in attack position. T-5 minutes to start our attack, so prepare to launch. Repeat, avoid any unnecessary engagements, understood? The special forces all answered, yes sir. Submarine U-61 and his partner were seen deploying Zukoks in what appeared to be a Zaku into the depths of the ocean. They then launched a battery of missiles. The underwater decoys hurtled toward the enemy encampment, meanwhile. The Federation camp suddenly came under fire. Explosions were seen everywhere. Then more explosions surrounded the Federation tank and infantry forces. One of the Federation officers ordered the fire suppressant to hurry up. The fuel's about to ignite. The tank commander ordered squads 1 through 3 to head with due haste to the coastline, while the remaining forces stayed to help with putting out the fires. The Zugok team emerged from the water with their menacing mono eyes aglow. They advanced the shore and opened fire. A pair of GM-3s returned fire with their beam rifles. Explosions beset the Zugok units. In the distance, another mad angler sub was moving silently through the water, while the shoreline was ablaze. Explosions could be heard off in the distance as well. 
The deck officer observed the decoys were successfully engaged with the Fetty scum. A little podcast plug there. He then ordered the Garadoga team to scramble. The Garadoga units emerged from the bay of the sub. Brown, wearing his helmet, got on the comms and ordered, All units, break through the enemy's line of defense at once. Don't lag behind. The squad began to move out with the lead Garadoga preparing their, be their beam machine gun. A pair of Garadoga's special op units opened fire on the unsuspecting Federation forces. Mesh ordered Paolo to take two enemy units on his right. Paolo said Roger and was grateful for his backup. Two camouflage GMs came under fire and returned fire with the Garadoga units. The GMs were then destroyed as the Garadoga continued to fire at other targets. The Garadoga team continued their savage attack and yet another GM3 was destroyed. Braun and his modded Garadoga took stock of the situation. Even though we've beaten most of the Fetty scum, we don't have time to waste staying here. Move on out. Captain Braun took point and ordered all units to spread out and to proceed to their target destination. Meanwhile, a long way away, at a Federation base, several mobile suits could be seen in air transports as well. A junior officer said to a captain that a rescue signal was picked up from a fourth relay station. What do you mean? he asked. It appeared this attack was done by Xeon forces. The officer answered the junior officer, or asked him rather, why on earth would they attack that remote base? Anyway, let's form a group to restrain them. Besides, it's time to test the combat abilities and test the new model known as the G-Commander. The massive G-Commander was moving to the massive bay of Federation transport. G-Commander is docked successfully, or the mobile suit docking has been docked as well. All mobile suit forces unloading has been completed. Close the front hatch. Launch prep complete. Control tower, please provide instructions. The control tower at the base ordered the massive transport call sign Goliath 2 to proceed to runway 8. The pilot responded with a roger. Two additional heavy air transports indicated that they were ready to launch as well. For this chapter, I'll talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, my analysis of this uh, manga so far. But before I get into that, I just wanted to say um, it's been, I guess, about a month since I put out my last episode, and I apologize for that. I've been going through a lot of stuff personally uh, and in terms of work, and so I, I apologize for the delay. Um, I, I hope that you guys understand that obviously life issues take precedence. Um, getting back to the manga, Kono-san continues to be on brand with his World War II aesthetic. One of the frames in the manga was seemingly taken from an actual World War II tank battle from North Africa. It actually looks like a group of panzer tanks out on maneuvers about to do battle General Montgomery's forces. Um, in other news, by now everybody knows that Gundam Hathaway is uh, now on Netflix in the United States, and already Shara's Counterattack, along with the original trilogy, uh, is also available on Netflix. I don't really talk about news as much, because uh, it obviously gets dated for a podcast uh, sort of medium, um, but for those of you who might follow my Gunpla uh, Instagram account, you might have seen some stills of uh, watching this while making another real great new Gundam. So why am I bringing this up? 
As you may remember, during Season 3, I covered my top 5 Gunpla builds I had to date, and the real great new Gundam was number 1. I decided to get another one so I can add on the heavy, wist heavy weapon system and add on our HWS. The HWS is in some respects a full armor variant of the new Gundam. Its codename is officially FA for Full Armor 93HWS. The HWS new is part of the Mobile Suit Variations lineup. Wing links, rather, will be provided in the show notes. There have been Mobile Suit variants from the original 0079 series, along with Zeta and Double Zeta. The HWS new in particular has more defensive capabilities and was designed for Amra if the second Yozion War proved to be longer or more protracted. Spoilers. It was by Yutaki Zabuchi, who had also designed the original new Gundam. So why am I even talking about this particular unit? Um, I bring this up other than to mention I love the RG new Gundam and uh, the heavy weapon systems built that I've made. As luck would have it, the HWS new Gundam serves as an inspiration for the massive G Commander that was introduced in this chapter. Codename RX-92LES, the G Commander is a mobile fortress that is incredibly massive. There are no dimensions that I could find either from the manga or online. However, it simply is a thick mobile suit. The shield unit of the HWS appears unchanged. Unlike the heavy weapon system new version, the leg units have been removed and instead it possesses rather, several massive thrusters that allow it to hover like a dumb across the ground. Its chest unit has been modified with even larger chest armor plates. The LAS stands for Land Armor System. It is equipped with 16mm Vulcans, three tube smoke dischargers, twin rotary beam cannons, a rear missile container, <clears throat> something called a reverse bomber, a beam machine gun with grenade launcher along with shield mounted twin mega particle cannons. For this episode we'll talk a little bit about the signal lamp. Earlier in this chapter, two subs were seen communicating to each other with a technology that was seen in naval vessels from the 20th century. The signal lamp, also known as the Aldus or Morse lamp, appears to be the basis of this. There were some applications seen in mobile suits such as Shars Counterattack where they called it the optical voice. In the universe of Minovsky particles, it does allow for communication between forces without the burden of spotty communication, which could be affected by the whim of particles or as a plot device. It is a semaphore, and that is defined as a device that can transmit visual signals over distances. Some of these can be performed with fire, light, flags, sunlight, or moving arms. The signal lamp appears to be created by the Royal Navy in the late 19th century. The initial light was a lantern that can emit a long or short burst of light to represent a dash or a dot as used in Morse code by Captain Colomb in 1867. Other nations would later refine this technology. During World War I, German forces would use a similar device known as the Blinkengrat, pronounced incorrectly, I guess. Um, the lamp would have a shutter that could be hand operated and allow for a flash of light to be emitted in a controlled fashion. The target would be able to decipher the code and relay the message on. The theoretical mass transmission rate that is possible is 14 words per minute. But former of these are still being used by modern naval vessels till this day. Some of this work is in the infrared band, making them less likely to be detected, at least by plain sight. Next episode, Chapter 5, Kozan. The Special Ops team begins their approach to the former Xeon mine. 
the Federation transports arrive on the scene and launch a mobile suit, including their massive G Commander. Please be sure to check out the Twitter page at Gundam Sentinel 2, Instagram at Gundam Sentinel Podcast, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Gundam Sentinel Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate and give a review on whatever means you listen to this podcast and tell your Gundam loving and talk with friends to check it out. Until next time.